Hello, everybody, and welcome to Prime Time with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Sean Mooney. This is episode eight, and uh, we are once again together, uh, Jim Duggan, uh, across the country, because that's probably a good thing, because I know at this moment you're in your underwear at a bunker at an undisclosed location. Is that true? How do you know that, Sean? I mean, <laughs> what do you got, spies? A satellite, a drone overhead or something, yeah? yeah. <laughs> Off work, I spent a lot of time. Of course, I work in short shorts and patent leather boots, so it's not a stretch to be sitting around in my underwear. Yeah, Scaring the neighbors. Yeah, and uh, well, wait a minute, Sean. Wait a minute, brother. I know what you're trying to do, young guy. I got it, man. Trying to get me off my game. But first things first. Ho! Just to make sure Brian's on his toes too, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I bet uh, everybody is uh, wondering like why you sound so crystal clear, folks. We have uh, excellent microphones now. We are moving up. As I said before, we started recording here that we're uh, we're almost big time. We're working on it. Right, Hacksaw? That's what I said. I'm sitting here in my underwear, so I don't know how big time we are. <laughs> but what a beautiful microphone. I kind of feel like Walter Cronkite. Of course, I don't know if anybody remembers who Walter Cronkite is, but I tell you, a nice microphone, and I hope I sound better. Well, you, Couldn't you sound any worse, I guess. <laughs> you certainly sound better. Hey, good. leave it. Hey, that was a shot. No, okay, keeping score. <laughs> uh, anyway, we have got so much going on, uh, really. I, I, we're going to cover as much as we can. Uh, Hacksaw, you know, we always love to start these uh, because you always have some great stories to tell. And another busy weekend, and I think you were back in the ring. Yeah, I was, man, and, and uh, had a great time. I tell you, the first night I was up in Bristol, Connecticut, so I drove up to Charlotte and then flew into Hartford, Connecticut, stayed there by the airport, drove down to Bristol. They had a big outdoor show at a, a baseball stadium. Uh, Ray Mysterio was there, uh, Kevin wow. Nash, uh, Jack Kevin Swaggart. Nash. Yeah, wow. Big Nash was there. He's coming off 14 knee surgeries. I was talking to him. I'm like, 14 knee surgeries, brother? Mm. He said, this was his 14th one. I'm like, what are they operating on? Yeah. What's left in there, you know? <laughs> Maybe they're putting something <laughs> in. Yeah, because that's my joke. I said, I'm the last of the old timers with all my original body parts. You know, like, like Jake's that. got a new hip. Teddy's got two new knees, you know. Oh. But anyway, and uh, also Jerry Lawler was supposed to be there. I know he was on the card, but uh, I didn't see him. You know, they had me in the closet dressing room. And uh, <laughs> of course, they had Jerry up there in this penthouse suite, I guess. But I think he was there. It had a great house, too, with a, with a big crowd out there. And a, it was a lot of fun, a, a good crowd. And, you know, the uh, Jack Swaggart, he was the, the last of kind of the young guys that I've wrestled uh, in the WWE, you know. But, uh, you know, before we move on, we always get, we've gotten this question a couple of times. And since you were just coming off, you know, another one of these indie shows, uh, we had one of our listeners ask if you have really seen any up and coming talent uh, as of late of guys that you think are going to be appearing sometime soon in the WWE. Have you really spotted anybody out there that you've had your eye on? When you go to these shows? Well, you know, there is, a, you know, and probably in all these years uh, since I've left WWE, and they always kind of tell you to keep an eye out for some hot young talent. There's only two guys that I said I thought they might have an opportunity to make it. Because as we talked before, Sean, what a competitive business it is. You know, you got a better chance of playing in the NBA than you do to be a WWE yeah. wrestler. Yeah. But of course, I never gave Daniel Bryan a shot in the world. I, I saw that kid and I'm like, there's not a chance. But wow. there's a kid with the drive, the desire, the work ethic, and, you know, the great gimmick. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Remind you me of a ho, ho, ho. <laughs> right, yeah. So, but you know, you uh, it's know hard to say what happen. makes it. 
Yeah, it's hard yeah, to say what know. makes it. I like in football, you know, if you run a, a 3840 and bench press 500 pounds, you know, and certain criteria. And wrestling it takes different things at different times. Yeah. And I know you love going to these shows because the crowds are so great. And I know many mm-hmm. of those people are listening to us right now as we keep saying this is the podcast oh, yeah, of the people. Lot of, for everybody who loves that on those shows. Era. Yeah, and, and we then, have been. Yeah, and then after uh, after the the show there in Bristol, I flew into Philadelphia, and then I flew over to Milwaukee and drove up to Green Bay. They had Stadium Stadium Mania Stadium Mania Four right there across the street from the Green Bay Packers Stadium. Uh, they had a great crowd there. But I'll tell you something funny, Sean. It's on my uh, Facebook and Twitter. When I was in the ring, you know, the crowd was going crazy. I had my two by four. I pushed my two by four way up in there. Oh! The ceiling was low. Boom. I knocked the big panel off the ceiling. <laughs> it came crashing down. At least I caught it anyway. You know, I said, oh, really? I Duggan can bring a house down. I'll tell you that, brother. <laughs> and and, the, and you the, did. And the folks got a perfect picture of it as I hit it and as it fell down. So, yeah, it's on my, my Facebook and Twitter. But it, it was nice to uh, – I enjoy doing those independent shows. I mean, there's so much good young talent out there, and there's not a whole lot of room for them in the WWE. So that's why you hope, you know, the Ring of Honor or Tommy Dreamer's uh, House of Hardcore or somebody else can pick up the slack, you know? Yeah. Well, it's uh, Maybe it's Jarrett. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. You never know, but uh... – they're out there. Good and, weekend. Uh, we've a lot got of fun. A lot of fun. I didn't get hurt. Oh. <laughs> didn't need another part. You still got the same one. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's the old joke. They're like, Hacksaw, we want you to run down and jump in the ring. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I wish I could run down and jump in the <laughs> ring, brother. You, you guys like, got some stairs to yeah, get in there? Where's the ramp? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was another shot, uh, Mooney. That's, that's about that's it. Right. You're lucky you're in Arizona, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I get folks, your toe again to... with a two by four. <laughs> oh, don't bring the rubber one though. That's uh, <laughs> I might be able to take that one, uh, folks. As we keep reminding, we'd love to have you listen in. Please spread the word. It is spreading. We are hearing from more and more people. <laughs> I'm going to make this real quick because everybody likes us to get past it. But uh, please go to iTunes, subscribe. If you like what you're hearing, give us a five star rating. Also, let us know what you think of the podcast. Uh, I heard from Wilson Nightstand though, and he pointed out that there are other platforms out there of course you can go to mlwradio.com but uh, wilson also mentioned he downloads uh, prime time with hacksaw jim duggan and sean mooney on google play so we're not trying to discourage anybody from downloading with your chosen source uh, but uh, we'd love you to go you know itunes is certainly one of them okay uh good point well taken wilson thank you and well, also you know, sean, and yeah. I've been I've been telling everybody PTH and M. It's not a disease. It's not a disease. And here telling everybody it's spreading. Come on, man. It is. That's <laughs> yeah, a good get thing. Healthy from this, you get healthy from PTH and M. PTH and M. Yeah, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We uh, love to have everybody following us. Uh, we have our own at Primetime MLW. That's a great spot. I got a bunch of questions this week on our topic, uh, and suggestions as well for uh, as we move forward. And now last week. Uh, we uh, threw out to our listeners about sending some stories, uh, superstars encounters. Keep those coming. Uh, I don't know how many we're going to get in today, but I'll try and get a couple. And you can send those to primetime at mlw.com, primetime at mlw.com. And once again, Jim, we ran a poll this week. Now, our three topics were, <laughs> which was a, a big favorite of mine, but it didn't get many votes. Wrestlers <laughs> I like the movies. poll stuff, too, Sean. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm, no sorry. Said, I'm, like sorry. Said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry. 
I'm a wrestler. Pole? Pole or pole? <laughs> From that part you know of Europe. Which one you like? At <laughs> uh, this stage, brother, are you kidding? <laughs> the young girls say, Hacksaw. Oh, Hacksaw Duggan. My dad, he was a big fan when he was growing up. <laughs> yeah. Reminds me a lot of my dad. <laughs> yeah. No, are you kidding? Or granddad. <laughs> like I said, Flair and Hogan still call me kids so long as they stick around. <laughs> That's right. You always hang out with older people. They're always the young guy in the room, right? And Jake says he's younger, but I want to see a birth certificate. Slippery. <laughs> you look pretty rough. So as I mentioned, we've got that. We had a poll going, and I liked the the first one very much. Wrestlers in the movies that did not get many votes, uh, but I think we could make that a great podcast. <laughs> didn't get many viewers about, in the movies. Yeah, all, well, all of yeah, <laughs> the performances. But you've been in a number of of uh, movies, and I'd love to. I've done a filmography on you. I've got it all ready to go, as well as a bunch of other uh, wrestlers. But we'll get to that. I'll, I'll keep putting it up there every once in a while, and we'll, hopefully, we'll get to it. the The second topic was Ultimate Warrior which uh, we both have a number of uh, stories to tell about the ultimate one. And then the last topic was SummerSlam 1992. And Jim, that came out way on top, 63% of the vote. So that is what our main event is going to be today. Well, you know, because I think a lot of folks... uh... Or over in Europe, we're listening to the show. I think a lot of the fans that are kicking in on what they want to hear are from uh, over in the UK and the rest of Europe. Yeah, well, that, and that's really true. And if you remember even, back even, then, yeah, go ahead. Well, what a card! Like you said, I'm sure you'll go through it because uh, yeah. you got all that. You got all the knowledge of that kind of stuff, brother. But it was a great card, and what a, a big show to go to Wembley Stadium. And uh, you know that was always a big deal to take SummerSlam as an outdoor show out to London, which is notoriously bad weather. To have an outdoor show of there yeah. of that size of that magnitude, uh, they were really throwing the dice. And it was a beautiful day. It was a gorgeous day over there. Yeah, right. and into the night as uh, that uh, event went on. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know this this is uh, when I started getting back into this. There's so many things that. Uh, I had forgotten about. I, I just really recall at that time, which I thought would be a great topic, as you mentioned, um, I'm sure you still hear from a lot of people from the UK, but um, in that period of late 80s is when it really started to take off in the UK. That was, I know they had done other um, spot shows. They had taken people to the Middle East, uh, you know, a couple of times like that before, but this this was where it was, it, it was just exploding over there. And we were doing uh, a lot of our events, or a lot of our shows were on, Sky Television over there, and I used to do the event centers for that, and we would localize those shows. And originally, Jim, SummerSlam 1992 was going to take place in Washington, D.C., uh, and the main event was going to be, you know, the Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man Randy Savage for the, the championship, the, the WWF championship. Well, they started to realize that it was just exploding over in the U.K., and they floated the idea of, of let's do the event over there. Uh, it was a huge undertaking. You can imagine, uh, although it's not quite the production it is now, uh, but it was a huge undertaking to, ta- to take the WWF across the pond, as they say, and, and go over there. And it really turned out to be a tremendous event all the way around. But, you know, it was, like I said, it was already cooking over there pretty good, Sean. Yeah. And, uh, 
You know, earlier in, in 91, uh, we had did uh, Royal Albert Hall. I mean, talk yeah, about that's right. a, yeah, I was there. You know, a, a, yeah. a, what a what a venue to go to Royal Albert Hall. You think of all the uh, artsy type folks right. that played yeah. at Royal Albert Hall. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, I played Royal Albert. What's the deal? You well, know? and, and <laughs> that gym, though, you, you're exactly right, because the inside of that place is, you know, it's royal. I mean, it's got it looks the part. And it's it one of those yeah, mystique. Uh, buildings in the world, kind of like Madison Square Garden, you know, yeah. Royal Albert Hall, yeah. and even Wembley Stadium. I mean, hey, Wembley Stadium is, uh, you know, as a young guy, relatively young guy to be over there being in Wembley Stadium or just going to Europe, as they're saying, how the WWFE expanded into Europe to say, hey, we're going on our first trip over to England. You're like, what? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Holy smokes. You know, it was to get over there and be treated like uh, the Beatles in the 60s. I mean, people having the airport staked out the hotels you know following the cars motorcycle escorts on all sides of the bus i mean it was a a thrilling time to be in the business it it was really it really was exciting and you mentioned royal albert hall and and i remember uh, being uh, up in one of the balconies before the event had started and seeing as i said this you know wonderful decorum there this royal you know royalty you were in these boxes at one time or another you know throughout that sure the, the queen's box over there yeah. right. and there and here it is a wrestling ring in the center of this place thought, <laughs> like, wow. you know a lot of people weren't happy with that i'm no, sure you no, know but it was a tremendous event really was so many people back then really kind of looked down their nose at professional wrestling you know we weren't the the black sheep of sports we were just people just despised us almost i mean and uh, really kind of good but now you can't deny royal albert hall you can't deny eighty thousand people at wembley stadium you can't deny 40 years of uh, the business growing so uh it's uh was that your first? Down, who's knows? You know, I, I love these uh, the ballet type. Uh, they're like, oh, you know, I'm like, oh, you guys ever sell out a stadium? Yeah, <laughs> ever put ninety thousand? You know, appreciate what you appreciate. I mean, everybody has different tastes. Not what makes the world go round, but wrestling fans are some of the best fans in the world. Shown time and time again at at WrestleMania, with folks from forty different countries are there. Yeah, had you been uh, over there prior to that? Uh, to perform. Had you been no, over there that was my wrestling? first time. Are you kidding? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, a... And I wanted to compare notes here because uh, I remember, and I, I, I've mentioned this before, that there was a certain level of fame here in the United States. I know yours was way past you know any level I, I knew about, but I remember going over there and it just was unbelievable. First to be in another country and people know who you are. But as you said, it was way beyond that. It, it was. It was rock star status for these superstars. Uh, Bret Hart mentions it a bunch of times. You know that it was in at that level, like Beatlemania to them. Uh, do you, did you just did it? What was your reaction? I, I don't know if you remember the first time you got off the plane or at the airport and just seeing that reaction from the people there. I don't think anybody was prepared for it. No. You know, <laughs> you got off the plane and all these fans are asking for your autograph and stuff. And then you're like, there's more and more. And then people start running up to you. And then people are cameras. And then there's like a mob there. Yeah. And you're like, you know, get to the bus. And people are yelling, taking pictures. And now the police escort. And you're like, oh, everybody's on the bus looking at each other. Like, oh, my gosh, this is unbelievable. You know, it was a, a thrill. And everybody, you know, they're they're always excited to you until, you know, Brett's behind you. Like, get out of the way, Doug. Yeah. And there's Brett Hart. You know, right, so but, you got to know where you are in a totem pole. But, but there uh, were young, there were young women crying. I, I remember just really, it was exactly like that. 
and it really, I think it took everybody uh, yeah, by nobody surprise. could have predicted. I mean, and yeah. of course, you know, we would do the, all the morning talk shows. Uh, yeah. I met, uh, we were out partying uh, with uh, Michael Douglas and Grace Jones one night at uh, wow. Stringfellows. That was the, the hot club in downtown London, you know, and we'd be f- head of the line. People would pull up. They're like red carpet, you know, cut the line off, bring yeah. in the wrestlers, you know. <laughs> and it, even back in WWE back there, some of my favorite keepsakes are the tour books they would give us. And they would have all the hotels we're in, all the local gyms, yeah. restaurants. I mean, they were all hardcover, really fancy. I mean, now I get my WrestleMania booklets, you know, stapled together. <laughs> <laughs> but back then, uh, I mean, the tour books were really cool. It's something uh, really neat to see. Yeah, and it was uh, it was just incredible. And at the time, as I mentioned, they uh, saw what was happening over there, and, and uh, we had been over there before, but they took this leap and and to fill Wembley Stadium. Now, folks, Wembley Stadium is a gigantic stadium. Rugby is played there. Soccer is played there. And the crowds there football. are unbelievable. Yes, football, exactly. Uh, their version. Um, yes. <laughs> and to fill that up is unbelievable. Now, uh, I'm going to be telling you a lot of stuff. We're gonna, you're going to learn a lot about this behind the scenes and, and some of the numbers. I hope that you'll bear with me. But I think it all uh, kind of brings into perspective what this event meant to the the WWF at the time, and uh, in expanding the exposure into Europe. Uh, as I say, you know, two of my favorite podcasts, something to wrestle with, uh, Bruce Pritchard, and of course, what happened when with Tony Schiavone, hosted by, uh, you know, Conrad Thompson. You know, they, Jim, they may have rumor and innuendo, as they say, but this podcast, Primetime with Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, and Sean Mooney, PTH&M, as you love to call it, that's Backstories... And intrigue. And I don't know of many other events, Jim, that has more than this week's topic. Okay, so let's get into the backstories, okay? And we'll just set this all up. Uh, it took place on Saturday, August 29th, 1992 at Wembley Stadium. Uh, it didn't air live on pay-per-view. A lot of people, may, uh, maybe you know that. I you did didn't, not know that. Yeah, they, they actually taped it, and it didn't air uh until two days later. So I said, you know, it was August 29th when it actually, the event took place. It didn't air on pay-per-view until Monday, August 31st. And, uh, you know, this way they could control it all. And and uh, as we get into uh, this, they, they had two main events to cater to both the American crowd and, of course, the U.K. crowd. Uh, you had the macho man Randy Savage facing the Ultimate Warrior for the, uh, the WWF Championship. And then you had Davy Boy Smith taking on Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, so we got a, a great question from uh, Rafael Rodriguez, um, and he asked about the, the the different venue. He was the one that was one asked about it being somewhere else. They did consider other locations, but as I mentioned, uh, it was Washington D.C. Now the WWF uh, made a two million two hundred thousand dollars. That's not pounds in revenue from admissions for that. Uh, 445000 the previous year. It was down, okay? But the company sold a million and a half, uh, 1.5 almost, in merchandise at that SummerSlam, uh, which was the largest amount of merchandise uh, revenue at the WWF to that point. And, and, and another opportunity here to explain is like, you hear about buy rates all the time, Jim? Uh-huh. Just so you guys, I'll mention this one time because you hear it all the time when you hear these pay-per-views. So when you hear it going forward when WWE has these... Uh, 
they, they'll say something, it was a 1.5 buy rate, a 2.7. Okay, a buy rate, like a 1.0 buy rate, is approximately the equivalent of 400,000 buys. That means that those are people that have paid money to have that pay-per-view brought into their home. Uh, this buy rate was uh, one and a half, which was down from the previous year at 91, okay? But just, just remember that. If you ever hear, like, what a buy rate is, 1.0 is the equivalent of 400,000 buys, okay? Now, that would mark um, the beginning of a decline for almost, uh, the, you know, the next uh, seven or eight years, uh, or six years, I should say, where they were, pay-per-views did not do well. And we had a question that came in, Jim, of, uh, talking about, you know, was this kind of the, the last hurrah for that era? I don't know if you could say that, but it did kind of mark a time when uh, it, things started to go down in the company. Uh, I don't know if you, you remember, but uh, it, it was. And I left in 93, uh, and before you had that gigantic resurgence, it really started in, in 98 in that, that period of time. Anyway... So moving on here, um, as I mentioned, we had the two main events. And the reason they did that is so that when they re-aired these pay-per-views, they would be able to have a main event. They could move these around in the card, and they would have the main event for, you know, that they would show last on the pay-per-view with Davey Boy and Bret Hart. And then they would have the Ultimate Warrior Macho Man uh, match. There were also some dark matches on this card, and I want to turn it over to you, Jim, because I want to, to uh, kind of bring us along. Uh, you were the first match at Wembley Stadium with uh, that 80-plus thousand people at uh, Wembley uh, in, the, in a six-man tag team match. Do you remember this one? Uh, you uh, oh, yeah, actually, with I, the Bushwhackers? Talk, yeah, we talk about this quite a bit because uh, the guys I get along with pretty well, of course, are the Nasty Boys. I know Jimmy Hart really well. Uh, Luke and I are buddies. Butch is back over in New Zealand. And even uh, Jock, the Mountie, I, I get along with him. So, But we, we talk about that uh, match because actually it went quite long. I think it went like almost 12, 13 minutes, which is a long time on that card out there. But uh, we always joke, we did five minutes before the match start. Butch would walk over to one side of the ring and go, yay! I'd walk <laughs> over to the other side of the ring and go, oh! Luke would go over to the other side of the ring and go, oh! And we'd go around the ring four or five times making noises. And uh, the crowd was just so into it that it was yeah. electric. We had the place, the whole place was been, yoing, haying, and yaying. <laughs> you'd been uh, at the uh, Silverdome and with the 93,000. How mm. did it compare as far as the electricity in that stadium because you you could really feel it just watching it yeah you could you know but the, the deal about the Wembley Stadium which was a big gamble was that it was outside you know and yeah. if the if it had rained I mean like you said the company was kind of struggling with the pay-per-view deals that was a, a big type gamble that McMahon seems to take quite often and it paid off for the guy and of course, uh, at Superdome, he had the uh, eight, uh, what ninety three thousand people all jammed in there in one one place. So it was more intense. But the electricity of the, from the fans, they were just so excited. They were so appreciative for the WWE to bring a pay per view over there. You know, it, it was fun. We had a great time, and uh, it was a great show. And. Uh, I know a lot of people are wondering. I'll hear from uh, people, and I might, might as well have ask. been a real. Tech. Match, though. 
Not exactly. Just guessing. I don't remember it being a yeah, real technical match. Uh, and it was probably one of the more entertaining matches on the card. Yeah, of course. And that's what I'm telling you that I know people are going to send me emails about. You know, why was that uh, a dark match uh, considered? And, and, you know, they say that the other match, on the, uh, which I will get to, the, uh, you know, matchup with uh, Virgil and Nails was featured in and the you, podcast. You know, Sean, I mean, as, in, as, in as a talent, interview. though. Yeah. As a talent, that's a lot of pressure. You're kicking off the show. Hey, open the show. You want to get them up. You want to get them hopping. You want to have a good match. You're kicking the show off. As a talent, getting ready to go out that curtain for the opening match, it's a little bit of pressure, especially over there in Wembley Stadium. Yeah, and those fans really, uh, you know, they love and hate you. They're, they're like both sides. I mean, you, they are so, uh, you know, fired up. That uh, yeah, yeah, I guess the right. pressure was on you to go out there and open the show, and it sounds like you guys you guys did a pretty good job. Well, of course, there's ultimate pros right there. Of course, the Wacker's been around longer than myself, you know, and of course the Nasties were hot right then, and and Jimmy Hart, maybe one of the more underrated uh, managers there are out there, you know. No matter what job, uh, you know, what if I was owned any kind of profession, I wanted to run a guy like Jimmy Hart working for me. Jimmy's not happening unless his beeper's going off, his cell phone, he's on the phone. He's going 100 miles an hour all the time. And uh, he was a really good manager, too, with the mouth of the south and that megaphone. You could always use it for a, a gimmick. Yeah, and he is so talented. And we, we should do a podcast one day with uh, it on looks Jimmy. Great. On the guy he looks did, great. Yeah. He doesn't age. No, and he doesn't, but a lot of people and, don't. And, and a Legend House alumni. He's one of my Legend House buddies. Which, you know, uh, Sean, excuse me for jumping off so- subject right here, which I tend to do a lot, I guess, when I hear about. But it was just a little over two years ago, uh, my best friend passed away, uh, Roddy Piper, God bless him. Uh, here at the, another Legend House guy, and I just wanted to take a minute and and uh, think of him and, and one of the best ever. We, yeah, we miss and, you, Pipe. God bless yeah. you, buddy. And I know that uh, you knew him for most of your career, but the, you, you two really became close during that Legend House, uh, Legends House shoot. And uh, uh, I, I, we're going to do a podcast on that, I, I promise, folks, where we can really get into uh, that relationship and also what went on there. Um, oh, but Legend House, it's about yeah. four stories. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> four shows. Yeah. But go ahead. Well, I'm sorry, Sean. Yeah, but uh, you mentioned Roddy, and uh, I think anybody that you know follows – uh, wrestling on Twitter, it was just blowing up. I mean, every every single uh, anyone that had ever been associated with him or or had uh, been a big fan of his was you know uh, uh, tweeting about you know the memories they had with him. Uh, I, ha- I have the fondest memory that w- when I went to the uh, thousandth episode of Raw, and he basically adopted my son Kyle. I mean, that whole night he was just so <laughs> awesome. And I told you, he gave him the shirt off his back when we left that yeah, he, night. Yeah, he loved kids. He gave it he to did. him, yeah. And, uh, you know, Kyle's never forgotten that. He still has a shirt. He won't wear it because he doesn't <laughs> want to get it torn up or anything or yeah. sweat in it or anything because Roddy Piper, gave it well, to like him. Like you said, we'll do a couple shows on pipe one night. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go back to the, the Wembley Stadium, brother. Okay, so that matchup, uh, you end up pinning the Mountie, uh, who was uh, one of the Rougeau brothers. Uh, and you know we had that whole place over in Wembley Stadium going, USA, USA. Yeah. I mean, uh, people were like, they couldn't believe it. But uh, uh, back then, of course, uh, we've always been allies with England, and back then it was really strong. Yeah. Uh, was that, uh, when you look back, was that one of the greatest crowds that you've ever uh, performed in front of? 
Would you consider yeah, you that? Yeah, I think it, looking back at it, it sure was, you know, to be out in front of that many people in a, in a, a foreign country and have them uh, respond and uh, uh, welcome me into their country at, at, and Butch and Luke like that, uh, it's a thrill. You're not kidding. Yeah, and... Um, you know, you always hear so many negative stuff about places and these big cities, London, Paris, being so rude and stuff. It was a, it was a great reception. Yeah, and... Uh, Following you guys uh, was a matchup between uh, Papa Shango and uh, Tito Santana. Uh, that was also another one of the matches that was not uh, not seen on the on the pay per view broadcast. Um, yeah, and the then Papa. Oh, excuse me. Okay, I want to hear a little bit more about Papa because uh, we don't. That's the first time he's ever been mentioned. Well, yeah, I was, I was just going to say, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a godfather to a lot of people, but he always will be Papa to me. Yeah. I mean, he was a <laughs> yeah. big, impressive, strong man, you know, probably still is. Uh, he's, you know, 6'8", you know, 320-plus, yeah. and jacked up. He was a powerful, powerful man. And, you know, he, he like Kamala, is one of those guys that scared the fans. Right. I was just going to say that. You mentioned, you know, some of these guys that it, where you'd see. Actually scared, kind of scared some of the boys, too. <laughs> but they would come out and people would just, you know, run. Run I mean, away would... from them. Yeah, the kid, kids would run. Nowadays, you see all the kids with their autograph books run close to yeah. touch the wrestler. You know, back then, Papa come out with that smoking skull or Kamala with that mask. <laughs> They'd all head the other way. Yeah. Are you sure that that's not... Uh... And, and a quality man, obviously, Papa. Uh, he's, he's a good man and, and two good guys, Tito Santana. I use Tito as an example because so many folks always hear the negative stuff about professional wrestling with, you know, Scott Hall or my good buddy Jake. You know, they hear all this negative stuff. Tito, there's a guy that's been very successful. You know, he's he's been with his wife forever. He's put uh, his two kids through Ivy League schools. They're both very successful as boys. Uh, you know, there's there's a there's a guy that's successful in our business. Yeah, and in life. Um, yeah, quality person. Yeah. Also, in between, they had these these main events. Uh, pretty. Who close. won that match? Uh, Papa and Tito. That should have been a good, Papa good Shango. match. Papa Shango. Was Papa went, went over. Hmm. Um, also, in between those the two big matches, the Warrior Savage and the Davy Boy Bret Hart match, there was a a match Tatanka versus Berserker. But uh, because of time constraints and uh, for whatever reason, it did not. Maybe that make... first match went too long. Yeah, well, I'm sure. <laughs> Who was that first match anyway? Uh, yeah, who was that guy who started this all out? <laughs> but Tatanka versus Berserker never made the podcast. I mean, I keep oh. saying podcast. I meant the pay per view uh, broadcast. And uh, Tatanka defeats Berserker that when Mr. Fuji's at ringside. But um, I'm I'm wondering as well. When they do this breakdown, does everybody get the same money, Jim, or or not? In a, in a, I don't know if you get pay per view, uh, you know, royalties, or if that was ever a part of it. But how did that break down? I mean, if you were just on that card, was it? Uh, well, it nobody worked? really compares paychecks, brother. You know, it's oh, not I'm not like looking for specific hey, numbers, but I wanted to know yeah. was you know how it how that worked though. Was it was it fair? Uh, <laughs> that was a bad word, wasn't it? <laughs> Excuse me. It's wrestling. It's yeah, life. Yeah. It's it's no, no. It's it's not fair, brother. But uh, it was uh, first of all, you were excited about being on the card. A lot of guys right. weren't on that over. show, right? Yeah, that's and, true. And it was, it was cool to be over there on that tour and, and be part of that show. So uh, yeah, the payoff uh, it wasn't secondary, of course, but it, it, you know. The way it divided up, I think uh, Warrior and Macho might have made a few more bucks than me. Yeah, well, 
Okay. Well, I, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll go along with that. But I just yeah. wondered if the, cards, you if know, you it didn't broke make down the, throughout the card. Yeah, I'm sure you, you know, it broke down through the card. If you didn't make the pay-per-view broadcast... Uh, uh-huh. I was just wondering if it was if it was the same thing because those guys. Probably were if you were on, I would imagine if you were on the uh, not the podcast but the pay per view, you'd get an extra. Yeah, they'd People probably are saying, throw you a bigger bone. We know you got a podcast. <laughs> we got it. All right, so the first uh, match that was seen on on the uh, pay per view uh, was Money and who, Inc. Who won that? Tataka and who was it? Oh, Tataka, Tataka and defeated Berserker, Berserker with the, Fuji, uh, another good manager. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but the Who first match. Uh, 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 Put you Tatanka, on the spot there, brother. Tatanka. Okay, cool. Okay, he's uh, still around. It's good to see Tatanka out there working on the indies. Yeah, you know what's great about that microphone, Jim, is that we can also <laughs> we can hear that clock a, a little clearer this week. Ding, ding, yes. <laughs> Here in my hideaway in my underwear. The undisclosed location. At least the dogs and pigs and chickens and ducks are quiet so far. <laughs> All right. Uh, but the first match uh, on this pay-per-view was Money, Inc. versus LOD, Legion of Doom. This, uh, and uh, when you hear something like this, you know a good match is coming, right? Uh, how, how could it not be? Uh, you've got the million-dollar man, uh, Ted DiBiase, teaming up with IRS, Erwin uh, R. Scheister versus the Legion of Doom, two of my favorite all-time superstars, uh, Joe uh, DeLaurentis and, and Michael Hegstrand, and... Uh, but what was really weird about this match? If do you remember the strangest thing about this tag team match? <laughs> because I think I might, but go ahead. I'll let you. Uh... Well, Paul Ellerling was was you know a very tough guy, a great you know manager when he was a manager. Uh, he had Rocco the Dummy with him. Do you remember <laughs> this? They had a dummy. Was that one of the bookers. Every... <laughs> 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 do you do you, do you recall that at all? I mean, they came they come out on choppers, and uh, Paul Ellering is the first one out, and he's got this dummy tied to the handlebars, <laughs> uh, and he's just like, "What?" You know, I knew that uh, I I'd forgotten about Rocco. How they get the animal dummy. off? Yeah, <laughs> but do you remember Rocco the dummy? Does that? Do you, at all? No, I think that <laughs> might go along with gobbledygook. I, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, I, We were probably still celebrating with Butch and Luke. Yo, yay! Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're and <laughs> people and licking them. Uh, licking them. But, but you, you know, what I thought you were going to talk about was uh, uh, Hawk, you know, he was over there in the Hells Angels. People of the UK fell in love with him. Yeah. Now oh, uh, we got we actually got a question about that. Somebody uh, oh, uh, wanted to know if he joined. We'll save for the question. Then. Yeah, because no, it, no, it's quite good. a story about Hawk and the Hell's Angels in uh, well, England. Go ahead. Let's go off the rails here. Well, you know, you were at, there was a few little partying going back on back in '92. You know, and and Hawk was in the varsity league of the party. Anyway, but he, he made the show. One of those guys, boom, time to work, take care of business, brother. Right. No matter how bad you feel, no matter what else is going on in your life, right. when you go through that curtain, it's 110%. And obviously, Hawk was one of those guys, always, you know. But then after the show, boom, 
missing in action. He disappeared. He was gone for like a week. He missed the flight. He hooked up really? with the Hells Angels and disappeared into England. Nobody heard from him. Animal was on. Like, oh, Ellering was, oh, my God, what happened? Nobody, nobody knows. And But Hawk finally made it back to the States. But he did. Uh, he took off with the Angels over there. Now, did he have affiliations prior to that? Or did these guys just... No, I think they, you know, I, people would just, uh, you know, and if you're okay, that those motorcycle guys are sometimes okay. They're like wrestlers anyway, you know. I, I was in the, the cove up there in, in Boston, outside of Boston, Revere Beach. It was a motorcycle joint. I didn't realize it, but, you know, they 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 uh, welcomed the wrestlers. So, yeah, and Hawk fit right in. He, he drove a bike. I've, I've never actually driven a bike, and the Hawk jumped on it and took off. Because you see a lot of guys, that, you know, Lex Luger, God bless him, I don't know how many times he's wrecked a motorcycle. Yeah. But did you hear any of the backstory and intrigue about... Yes, uh, but we can't Hawk? talk to him. Well, <laughs> Just the, imagine the worst thing you can have. I mean, and, you know, it was the 90s, brother. Uh, the drugs, the booze, the women. I mean, God, I miss the old days. <laughs> <laughs> the memories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It was a it was a party time, and of course you were you were like I said, it was like maybe not the Beatles, but you might have been the Rolling Stones back then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, people were excited guys. to see you, glad to be with you, and uh, whatever you wanted was available. And that's why you know, look at the. That's another thing that's a, a tragedy about the SummerSlam. It's no like what seven guys out of like 30 are dead off that card. It's yeah. unbelievable how many guys from that card passed away. I believe somebody's taken the the uh, World Series and the NFL Super Bowl and compared it that year, and like the one one team lost one guy, one lost two. Wow. Wrestling, we lost seven. Wow, yeah. And, and uh, you know, Hegstrand, uh, Hawk was had his demons at that point. And, uh, and we all did, but up, Hawks right. was... It was... Yeah. But you know it's 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 really funny that you 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 brought that up because uh, Jeff uh, who uh, uh, who sent that or Craig rather Craig it's like his Twitter is at Craig Allen and when I got this I said what I I I, don't, I didn't hear that story and, and but uh, it's is it is it is it true Hawk of the Legion of Doom walked out of the WWF after SummerSlam to join the Hell's Angels after the event <laughs> it's, and it's true. Uh, did he, did he have That's a jacket a story, when he came yeah. back? <laughs> <laughs> he disappeared. I mean, we're all catching the flight, you know, and yeah. poor animal and uh, Ellering were standing at the uh, jetway waiting, you know, and last morning, please get on. <laughs> They're looking down the, t- uh, the concourse and no hawk. We all got on the flight and left home. Yeah. Well, apparently he didn't come home for like a, for a while. You not know? only did they lose Hawk, but uh, uh, Joe claims they they lo- they lost the the dummy at the airport too. They ditched the dummy, never to be seen again. <laughs> but, I don't think that was really lost, Sean. Yeah, I mean, maybe a, a trash been, can. Uh, somebody uh, tra- uh, later or, that yeah, night. a different kind of can we call it, but well, uh, <laughs> starts with an S. There you go. We promise. But I tell you, what a great match! So you talking? You got the Teddy and, and Rotundo, right? Against yep. those guys. Yep. And of course, you know how I feel about DiBiase. I always think he's one of the best ever. And of course, Mike also a great amateur. Rotundo was a, a Syracuse uh, college uh, wrestled for the team there in Syracuse. So, uh, and and you had Jimmy out there. So you had what seven guys? Uh, Lod and Ellering, uh, Teddy. Uh, 
Rotundo and Jimmy and the referee. So I bet that was a good match. Yeah, there was a lot of talent on that floor at the time. It really, uh, it, and it, as it, you mentioned, way to look at it. Yeah, regardless of what was going on when these guys showed up, they showed up to uh, to work. Exactly. They definitely yep. did, and, and uh, uh, you know they had a, you know a lot of the distraction and misdirection with the ref. Uh, you know Joey. Joey Morella was the referee in there, which, oh, which also I've heard on many, you know, I've been doing, uh, hearing a lot of interviews and, and a, a lot of the, the, the boys give Joey a lot of credit for being one of the best refs that they ever worked with. And uh, people don't Wait. know, Joey Morella is, uh, was uh, Gorilla Monsoon's adopted Your buddies. Son. Yeah. yeah, was uh, Gino's adopted son. And, and um, it, as we said, when he lost his life um, in a, after falling asleep at the wheel, uh, after one Car of the accident. shows, yeah. But, but you uh, know, that's a, a referee is such a big part of the match, people don't realize it. You know, I mean, he's a, you know, I tell the referee, even on these indie shows, you got to show, show authority. You know, I come in with a two by four, get on me, tell me to put it, put down that two by. Because right. if you don't acknowledge the ref's authority, it doesn't mean nothing when you cheat or make that false tag or nothing. So you got to get the ref over. And, uh, a referee is an important part of the show, and a lot of guys just don't ignore the ref, and, and and that doesn't help at all. I think the the ref is out there as the manager is. It's you got to, instead of six guys, you got seven guys working together. Yeah, and uh, if you guys and the if you more the merrier, the way I look at it. Yeah, it's not like too many cooks in the kitchen. I like it if you got a lot of guys out there. There's a lot of things you can do, you know. Yeah, and if you remember back, folks, uh, there were not that many referees. I mean, remember we had the Hebner brothers and. Uh, uh, Joey and uh, you know Danny Davis, who ended up becoming a, a superstar for a, a while, but I don't. They don't get the credit that they deserve as far as uh, you know them being a part of those matches and making them work. And we'll be talking about uh, the Bret Hart Davy Boys uh, match, and Bret mentions him several times about how you know key he was and what a, a great referee that he was, and that was really a big part of selling. Like, like you said, you have to you have to have somebody who's supposed who's the authority in the ring, and you know, you can go and uh, right. whatever you're getting his face, and something else is going on behind you, and um, sometimes they go down, and they got to be able to sell it, and they got to be able to sell it well, and uh, yeah, those guys uh, did a great job. Yeah, I mean, uh, as wrestling, a lot of folks think, oh, I, gee, I can do that. It's it's hard to be in the ring. got to stay out of the way. you got to know when to be there. You, a lot of times you're a big part of the spots. I mean, it's it's not an easy job. And, you know, also what gets overlooked a lot, uh, jumping off of the subject again, is the ring announcer. Yeah, That's such a big importance. You know, a lot of times I do some of these indies and the announcer's out there in a pair of blue jeans and a T-shirt. I'm like, brother, you're in the ring more than anybody else. I mean, dress it up, put on a suit coat and a tie. Oh, Howard Finkel always yeah. with the uh, tuxedo. Uh, so always dressed up to show. Yeah. And, and the ring announcer is probably in the ring more than anybody, any of the talent. So I mean, you know, looked apart. That's right. And um, getting back to this one, uh, <laughs> it was a good, it was a it was a decent match. I won't say it was with, tremendous. I, and, I, and one thing I think it was because I was so distracted by the. The dummy at ringside that they had, you know, in a seat, and I, I just, I just still don't understand what, what was going on there. But uh, you know, it ends up with you know Ted hits IRS on the uh, at ringside there. He's up on the ropes and knocks him down, and then uh, Animal ends up getting the pin after body slamming uh, the Million Dollar Man. But like well, they, said, I, especially over in the UK, they like the uh, Legion of Doom. You know that whole uh, Road Warrior type look with the the. Uh, shoulder pads and the spikes and the painted faces and the mohawk. I mean, 
those guys, they, they don't not only look, look the part, they live the part yeah. as Hawk disappears on a motorcycle. Well, Boom. yeah, and, and folks, now you know, with uh, with the, uh, in this matchup, uh, Hawk got on his motorcycle and just rode right out of Wembley Stadium and hooked up with the Hells Angels, so. Thank God he made it back, though. <laughs> yes, yes, he did. Uh, following up this one, and it is a completely forgettable match, if not for one big reason, Virgil versus Nails. Uh, right now, uh, surprisingly, that was on the pay per view. Yes, it was. It was uh, or a podcast. Maybe, maybe with Virgil's. <laughs> that was a shot, Sean. Yeah, yeah, I got. I got to count them when I can get them in on you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. But this, this is the podcast. Oh, by the way, did we mention it's prime time? We're not talking about Doug and Sean Mooney. It's but not the, a disease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it never clears up, though. We want you to stay with us forever. <laughs> But this match, Virgil versus Nails, uh, it may have been a part of this putting over because they did give Virgil a bit of a push uh, that he started doing some you know, independent matches. Maybe this was a chance to see how he would go over with this crowd. And it was, uh, you know, it was not a good match at all. It was, it was well, let's just call neither it one of them are, are really, uh, you know, I, I can't be too critical of wrestling uh, yeah. moves and, and that kind of stuff, but neither one of those guys, you know, you know, usually if you have a brawler out there, you kind of need a wrestler to kind of balance it out. You got right. two guys out there that were relatively pretty green to be in that spot. Yeah. Well, and the reason that uh, it is worth mentioning is because uh, this is the match, apparently, that Nails was uh, all upset about uh, not getting enough money for when he attacked Vince in Green Bay in December uh, of that year, a few months down the line, claiming he did yeah. not receive well, I think money that was just, service. you know, one of the straws on the camel's back, brother. That was, that was building for a while. And, of course, some of the guys were stirring the pot on that, too, boss man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's another uh, backstory there. Another with, story, uh, yes, yes. But uh, I can't keep going off subject. I get in trouble. I don't know. It's, uh, I'm telling you, you know what we're going to do now? We're, we're going to come up. We're going to have a uh, – it's going to be a train <laughs> a, 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 a train on the tracks. And whenever you go off, we're just going to play that. And then you go wherever the heck you want. We'll just, there you go. <laughs> oh, hey, oh, somebody's on the ball. Holy smokes. <laughs> Who's sitting in for Brian? <laughs> that was a shot. <laughs> I think he has an evil twin. Brad, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So the, anytime you want to, you want to go off the rails. You, you okay. feel free because I love hearing these stories. I'm telling you that the cool. one about uh, Hawk uh, disappearing, and I, I, I want to hear those stories, uh, Jim. Maybe we'll have to wait until we get off here, but uh, I, I'm sure you got some good ones. But uh, pretty much anything you can imagine happens. <laughs> it's amazing though that uh, that that actually happened. That uh, Hawk. Uh, did, did right off it, the sunset. Well, he, he fit right in. I mean, you know, it's not like he had to change his gimmick to fit in with the Hells Angels. Are you kidding? I think a couple of those guys got mohawks after he left. Yeah. <laughs> they got tattoos. Right. <laughs> right next to mom. Right. Was <laughs> one for hot. Let's not get the Hells Angels mad at us, okay? We're not, no, Wait, not look. at all. Not at all, okay? <laughs> guys, we're all good. <laughs> All right, so that match really it just it, it was really sloppy, and it was uh, it was four minutes too long, and I think it was four minutes. Uh, in the end, you know, uh, Nails ends up brutalizing uh, Virgil with the nightstick, and they have to come out and uh, you know break it all up. And it's but uh, I really wanted to talk about that one because that is the match uh, supposedly that Nails was uh, attacked Vince over because he didn't get enough money. 
Uh, a lot of people talk about this, this SummerSlam, and we'll get into it more as we uh, get through the card uh, by sometime tomorrow around noon. Um, <laughs> that, that, you know, they were disappointed in this card. Uh, but the two matches, the main events really saved it. Um, th- yeah, and, and this is another example that Shawn Michaels versus Rick the Model Martel was the one that followed up this Virgil and, and Nails match. Uh, at the time, you know, Sherry was uh, was really big in the WWF, and she was um, supposedly Shawn Michaels' uh, valet at the time, okay? And then the model, remember, he starts a little something, a little intrigue with with uh, Sherry, and they're doing a little winking at, at ringside, and then this is the big, uh, the two going to be, you know, fighting over the love of the sensational one. So Sherry's at ringside, uh, as they, they go at it. And then uh, it, I, I remember th- uh, one of the things they kept doing in this match was pulling each other's tights down. Uh, just to give you an idea of what was, what was going on, uh, Bobby Heenan, who was doing play-by-play along with Vince, uh, one of his lines was, I've never seen so many smiles in my life, which I thought was <laughs> the line of, 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 what a uh, crack. of the pay-per-view. Yes, <laughs> they were cracking up everybody, exactly. Uh they end up, and, and and also the part of this was they weren't supposed to touch each other in the face. Uh, they they end up, of course, blowing that uh, that promise, and Sherry faints at on the on the apron of the ring, and uh, they're battling away, and she's supposedly out, and they keep brawling, and then Sean comes back for Sherry to carry her back to ringside because he's she's his woman. And then he starts carrying her, and then, of course, the model uh, wants to uh, get involved in this as well because she should be with him. Uh, so he knocks Sean down, and this goes on down the aisle, all the way back to the, the behind the curtain backstage. Now, Jim, do you remember how far it was to the ring? From <laughs> I think it <laughs> well, was. You're in the you needed a motorcycle. At least Fifty yards. <laughs> yeah, you needed a motorcycle or a, a golf cart or something. I would think by the time you got down there, you were blown up, uh, sucking wind. Yeah. So I'm going to say this as nicely as I can. Sherry was not a petite woman. Is that <laughs> fair to say? I know nothing's fair girl. in wrestling, but <laughs> she. Okay. And I don't know how many. Maybe if we said it was in stone, how much she weighed. But anyway, you see, Sean, he, he's going More to pick proportion, her up. though. Yeah, and, no, and she looked good. I'm not saying, no, not at, not at all. She was a yeah, great she shape. She was well-proportioned. <laughs> and the outfit that she had on was, uh, well, let's, every time she turned around, she mooned the audience, okay? So Sean is. So there's a going, lot of moons over <laughs> Wembley there between the three of them always. <laughs> right. I'm surprised Sean's, the ref didn't do a moonwalk. Yeah, no, I, that's all that was missing in this one. So he's going to carry her back, and he just gets her in like a fireman's carry, puts her over his shoulder, and starts heading back, which would probably Sean work. did with Sherry. Yeah, Sean did. He's going, all right? Uh, and then, uh, of course, Rick comes, the, the model comes, and he, they're probably, I don't know, 20 yards down the way, and he knocks them down, and then Martel picks her up. And he's walking, and you see him. He goes, because uh, Sean's recovering from the attack, and you could kind of see in his face, like, okay, where is he? <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> Attack I just, me, please. I just a, yeah, I just did a whole match, and I'm trying to get back. And it must have seemed like... Uh, it must and have everybody's seemed like, watching. Yeah, 
getting backstage must seem like trying to get to Scotland, I think, you know, for these guys. <laughs> and so, That's a, a pretty completely correct way to be putting it, brother, I tell you. Yeah. And, and you so danced he, around that pretty good, Sean. <laughs> so he comes and he But Sherry, me. yeah, she was a big girl, but she loved that match. Are you kidding? Have the heartbreak kid and Rick Martell fighting over you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sherry yeah. would love it, man. Yeah. But I and just it, it was, a, was a, a what double DQ I believe wasn't yes. it or something yep. or double count out or a double That's, so they didn't put Sean over you know surprisingly yeah yeah but it was it was it was another odd odd match it just they didn't really get to do much in the ring and uh, and like I said they were doing the pull the tights down thing down which was kind of was to me was uh, just kind of a, a cheeky it type a of show match. yeah it was yes it was very cheeky especially over in England yes that's exactly right it was <laughs> the women loved it are you kidding yeah, I'm sure a lot of the guys probably yeah, I'm sure to say there are probably a lot of guys in that audience liked it yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, so they go. They and they finally get near the curtain, and then uh, Rick comes out with a bucket of water. And who gets it in the face? Sherry. Sherry humiliated in front of eighty thousand people, and uh, she goes off screaming. But I just the, what stood out to me though is that just how far they had to go, and and and, and Martel just you could just see on those face like, where is he? <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> uh, that, uh, Hit me, please. Yeah, get where is he? So that one uh, ended up, uh, uh, you know, it was, to me, it was like two matches. Like what the heck? Uh, up next on that one on that card was the Beverly Brothers, Bowen Blake, and the Genius, who was their manager, and then the Natural Disasters, uh, John Tento, who you know, uh, Earthquake and Typhoon. Big Quake. Yeah, and Fred yeah. Fred Ottman. Another huge athlete, big earthquake, you know, uh, amateur wrestler. I think he out on the West Coast somewhere, either California, Oregon, I believe. Uh, was a sumo over in Japan. Yeah, that's right. And I don't it, know if many people you know, know that, but he was, and he does not. He's, you know, he looks as uh, American, you know, Caucasian American. Uh, as yeah, know. but he he was big yeah. enough to sumo. That's for sure. And uh, another one. He's one of the the seven that has passed away. You know, I mean. Big, well, uh, big John big and man. Typhoon. What a, what a pair out there! I mean, you talk about natural disasters. Legit, two big, huge. I mean, huge, well, Tenta, powerful men. Yeah, Tenta went uh, about like four seventy, and yeah. and Typhoon. He, I think he looked heavier than he was. I mean, he was around uh, a little, like shy of four hundred pounds. But yeah, so uh, yeah, he looked a lot lighter. But, yeah, but think about that though, Jim. But how much how much they were carrying around. Oh, and they the, moved the, pretty well. I mean, uh, uh, Earthquake oh, moved very well in the ring. I mean, he did. He could well, do, he a do lot. that like a, almost like a Yokozuna's bonsai drop on you know. He yeah. he would drop that big butt on you. Sometimes you feel like a human suppository <laughs> right yeah. up on either side of the cheeks. Another cheeky show. Oh, but uh, and going against the Beverly Brothers, you know, everybody used to bust their chops because they had those pers- uh, those purple robes that wore to the ring, and they're like. Did you guys get those off the windows at the Knights Inn? I mean, yeah. <laughs> where'd you get those <laughs> they want them back. robe? I'll tell you, right? Yeah. Well, it, and it's a little surprising. I mean, the Beverly Brothers, I, I, they gave them a pretty good push in, in 91 and 92, but mm-hmm. they just never, and that was pretty much it for them, Jim. They didn't get much of a push after that, and then they were pretty much fodder for well, you know, the other tag teams after that. Right. Well, they give. And again, the tag teams were were much more prevalent back then too. A bigger part of the show, lots of good tag teams. But there's a chance where they gave the guys the ball to, to run with it and gave them the opportunity, and they had trouble carrying the load. And 
boom, back into the mix. Yeah. And, you know, and the genius, I mean, the genius, he was a definitely unique character, Lanny. Uh, I got along with Lanny, still do, and uh, he is, he's he's an intelligent man, but he he can get on your nerves a little bit, too. Yeah, he is. uh, Not that I ever get on anybody's nerves at all. (laughs) Never. Never. Leave it alone, Moody, I've had it. Just just ask Deborah, right? (laughs) Yeah. Ouch. Big guys have feelings, too, you know. (laughs) <laughs> Larger feelings, feel bigger like nerve endings. A, I feel like you're keeping a big list. There's the shot list. All right, Mooney, what do we do? And I see you. I'm on my fifth page. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'll be looking forward and seeing one day down the road, Sean. Yeah. We're going to have a good time, but let's take care of business first. Come here, Mooney. <laughs> but that match, uh, you know, I think, I think we're, we're off can... subject. Play the, where's, the, where's the train? Oh, I don't know. Did we go Brian, you're sleeping on us over there. There we go. <laughs> Coming back to the station. I yeah. can see it. I can see Scotland. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Talking about can't wait okay. to meet somebody. Brian, boom, bang, zoom to the moon, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who gets that right? <laughs> we're, we're, we're almost getting to Scotland now, so we uh, okay. let's get back to the matchup. Uh, that one ended, I think you know how it wrapped up uh, with the natural disastrous uh, squashing the Beverly Brothers. Um, and I... I, I Earthquake ends that in the in the uh, and he comes down on uh, I I think it was Bo's chest. I mean, it was like a squish and a frog. You could almost like his eyes closed <laughs> down because he didn't do you know Earthquake usually kind of did that thing where he came down you know and he was still pretty balanced on both of his legs. This was kind of like a one leg slide, so you know that you know of the four hundred and sixty seven pounds, I think uh, four hundred and thirty seven came down on his chest. That did yeah. not feel good. Well, that was hard for a guy that big. I couldn't believe he would land on his knees when he would do that move yeah. in the first place, you know. And, of course, that's the old wrestling deal where they say, I just saw a guy throw a punch and he missed him by six inches. I'm like, yeah, but you see when he hit him by six inches. Well, with, with it goes both ways. Yeah. And that was six inches in the plus column there. On the <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was more of a foot because, uh, man, that, that, you just see when he would come down on people. Yeah. Oh my God! I was. I'm That's telling you. That's a lot of weight. That's and he was. I mean, size equals strength. Those guys that are that big are powerful. That's why Andre just powerful, powerful men. Don't spend a lot of time in a gym. Don't do a lot of bench pressing and deadlifting and stuff. But are just personally powerful. Yeah, and and I you know I've told the story where you know uh, Andre knocked me off the set that one uh, night and you know to him it was if you're like a normal person and you just you know open your arms, you know, just like with emotion. That was all he did, really. But because of yeah. his massive size, when he would, you know, like you said, when he put his, his you know, his hand on your head, it was like a, a, a crane was picking <laughs> a you weight. up. You know, it was boom. Yeah. Know? So he, he, he'd paw you around like a grizzly. I mean, he just pushed you around. Yeah. Uh, come uh, up next after this one. What? Okay. Uh, I was going to move Go on. I was just going to say the same Quake. thing with Quake and uh, and Typhoon. That big men would push you around like that. But yeah. who are we talking about next, brother? Uh, Repo Man Barry Darso, which uh, <laughs> member of uh, of Demolition, and uh, which was in- what was interesting about this match is his opponent was Crush uh, Brian Adams, who was part of that Demolition team, and of course, as we mentioned, you know uh, Barry, who became Repo Man after the uh, Demolition was uh, you know no more. Uh, and 
no mention. There's nothing uh, that, at all in this matchup that that is related to that. Which you know they have different gimmicks, but it just uh, was was interesting to see these two guys in the ring. Because uh, Bill, you know, was no longer really uh, doing much, and uh, you see his, his health was not great. Um, but I want to go off the rails here real quickly because uh, you ready for this, Brian? Because this this is, and we should do a story. We should do a podcast on this, Jim. Uh, that um, there's that high school in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. How right. many wrestlers were went to high school together? And it, it, uh, Darso was at, went to this uh, Robbinsdale, Minnesota. Uh, Robbinsdale. Robbinsdale. Yep. And something uh, was in the Kool Aid there. <laughs> yeah. Kurt Hennig, uh, Rick Rude. Yeah. Brady. Road Bull, Warriors. Yeah. Berserker. Nails. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's John Nord, right? And uh, and Scott T- uh, Simpson, um, and they and yeah, a lot of guys. It's a well, and and you know a lot of the uh, old uh, old school guys lived in Minnesota, and that probably had something to do with this. But can you imagine what that high school was like? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, you think of these guys. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a, that was a good group out of that place. You're not kidding. It it, it was. But you know, I tell you. Uh, uh, Barry Darso, there's a, a real survivor in wrestling. You know, I met him down in Louisiana as a, a Crusher Crew chef. Right. You know, he was doing the Russia, Russian gimmick. And, you know, Barry's a big, strong guy, too. He was a big bench presser and a deadlifter and squatter. He'd do those big three. And he was a powerful guy. But there's a guy that adapted, as we're talking about uh, Terry Taylor with Red Rooster and One Man Gang with Akeem. There's uh, the Repo Man who did the demolition, who did the Crusher Khrushchev, who did whatever job they needed filling. Barry made it work for him. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, he did. He and he kind of pulled this off for the Repo Man. Um, he certainly yeah, It was a was, unique gimmick, you know. Yeah, it was. <laughs> he had the mask on and... Yeah. It was kind and of, of like, course, Crush is Crush is not one of the seven guys that have have passed on us, you know. And he was an, a physical, impressive guy. I mean, he was a big, tall, strong person. Yeah, yeah. And uh, forty three when he passed, uh, Brian Adams. Um, but when they were, you know, part of that that demolition, that to me, it signaled when it really started to um, started to fade, because. Um, you you mentioned last week, and we were talking. We did mention demolition, and it really bothered me because I knew there was another connection to this. That um, Randy Colley was one of the original guys who came, you know, was part of that gimmick with with Bill, and right. he was uh, known as Moondog Rex. And one of the reasons that it was good for you in a lot of cases, but bad for him in this situation, because you know, part of the Moondogs, and when he would even with the face paint on, people would chant. Uh, you know, Moondog, and that's right. he, why they that changed it out. body type, yeah. Right, they, but they knew who he was. put a mask on him, you still recognize who he yeah. is. You know, he had the his mannerisms, the way he walked, I mean, just his physical body type. <laughs> you cut his head off and still recognize him. There's Moondog. Yeah, so unfortunately for <laughs> And that gimmick was strong. People knew, knew him as Moondog, but yeah. it, it worked out good for uh, Crush and Barry. Right. But, it was bad for one guy, works out for another, you know. It's... Especially, kind of like combat. I'm sorry it's you, but I'm glad it's not me. <laughs> right. And, and especially for Barry in this situation, it was a chance of a lifetime because uh, demolition was huge. Uh, look how long they were tag team champions. And yeah, they had a good run as demolition. They, they, they sure really, did. They really did. And, and it was. It was uh, the whole, every part Bill of the I mean, 
You got to mention Bill Eady, of course, the yeah. other demolition guy, kind of the mainstay of demolition was Bill. Yeah, and that's and another stand-up quality person, Bill Eady. Yeah, and together it worked. Uh, I'm sure maybe Barry coming in was just grateful for the opportunity, but I don't think he could have ever imagined uh, what. Well, he made it work too. I mean, yeah. you know. Well, sometimes, right, yeah. Jim? I mean, you never know. You put two people together. You never know. Right. You never know what's going to work. Whoever thought a two by four would work? <laughs> yeah. well, there you go. And, and uh, he would never uh, after that. Uh, the, like I said, when when Crush started joining, it, it worked for a while. But I really felt that that was the beginning of the end for Demolition, and it, yeah. it was. And uh, they tried other things with him, like they, you know, Crush had the, his bit going for a while, but and, it, it ran its course. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, what a, a, a great uh, tag team that was with Axe and Smash. Um, this match was and good, okay. And good ring music too, or entry music. Yeah. Oh yeah. People, yeah they hit. You just played a few a few bars. Everybody knows what it is. Right. <laughs> you know, but uh, that that match ended up. You know, it was it was a decent brawler match, and uh, you know, crush, which I never quite understood, did the head crusher thing that uh, you know for submission, uh, and that's that's how that one pretty much ended. Gets a submission on that encounter. Uh, what else was interesting in this uh, broadcast, Jim, is that Vince was pushing the WBF, and in between these matches, a couple of times he pushed Ico Pro. Ico Pro, which we've talked, we've talked. I know that I think you've probably flinched there because it brings back the memories of when those bodybuilders were around. But it just brought back to me that uh, you know what a big push they were they were trying so hard to make that go over. Uh, another uh, another example of McMahon taking a shot at something, you know, supplements. Let's try IcoPro. Let's try XWF. Let's try bodybuilding. I mean, the guy will definitely <laughs> take a shot at things. Yeah, yeah. And now, uh, now we get to the, the two the two big matches really that what that made this event. Uh, now, as I mentioned before, what they did was with these pay per views is that they uh, basically had two main events so that in the North American audience. And other parts of the world would have the Ultimate Warrior and the Macho Man Randy Savage for the WWF Championship. And then to play to the UK crowd, they had Bret the Hitman Hart take on Davy Boy Smith for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, this uh, this match, the, and this would happen before live at the event, they, it was the Warrior uh, Macho Man encounter. And they had built this up for a long time. And they, the, the rivalry really started in, in 1990. Uh, move quickly along in the timeline there but at one point Randy was forced to retire if you remember that after he lost to the warrior and then Randy would would be reinstated in November of 1991 and he would eventually take the championship from Ric Flair and that's what kind of set this whole matchup in motion uh when when uh Randy took the title at WrestleMania 8 on uh, in 1990 on April 5th prior to this you know event and so Flair it gets involved with Mr. Perfect, and uh, because Flair was not given a rematch, and they are doing everything they can, everything they can to mess with this this uh, this title match, and uh, Warrior or, or Perfect somehow gets involved where he's going to be one of their managers. I don't know if you remember this angle, but it just got tremendously confusing and did as this thing ran out. But the thing about this match. Jim, if you remember, uh, it really, watching it again, showed me that Randy Savage could get 
pretty much anybody over in a matchup. Uh, and this one against the Warrior. Uh, would you say that that is uh, pretty true of Randy Savage? Yeah, with two, obviously, of the iconic top five guys ever in pro wrestling, Warrior and Macho, and Warrior probably one of the best t- top two or three gimmick guys ever. And Macho, not only a great gimmick guy, but a great worker. And like you said, he could get the best out of anybody. And, you know, looking over that match, I see they went 28 minutes. I mean, unbelievable that Warrior would go 28 minutes, you know, after introduction and the run to the ring and shaking the ropes and all that exertion he spends going down there. And, uh, you know, Macho was able to, to get that out of him. And, uh, you know, that Macho, I, of course, always think, of, like I said, one of the top three ever. Yeah. Well, I think that match even went longer because, as I, I said, that this thing didn't air live and they had the ability to cut a few things out. And uh, I, if they okay. did, I think in the Bret Hart and. Um, well, that's what I get for trying to prepare them. No, but I'm I trying to catch that's up what with it here. From the, uh, from the pay per view. <laughs> Google never lies. <laughs> Don't let me discourage you from doing homework. I love that, Jim. <laughs> but the, my point of it is... That's that another I, shot, Moody. I tell you, you're way ahead on points. <laughs> but I think, I, I think Randy, uh, to your point, I think he got more out of him than that even. And if you look back and remember what Warriors, uh, shall we say, limitations were in the ring, there was a long list. And uh, yeah, well, and I can't throw no stones. <laughs> but he was this was. But there's was, more to wrestling than being a great technical wrestler, and a warrior, of course, is one of the prime examples. Well, Hogan's you know, another. I mean, neither one of them great technical wrestlers, but two of the best ever. Yeah, all he had to do was and run. Where that. Macho was not only a great gimmick guy, but he also was a great tactician. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, all the warrior had to do was make that mile and a half run to the ring. That's what I mean, to go that long yeah, after making that ropes, run. Right? No, he was shake, blown up. Yeah. And then shake the ropes. I mean, that it, it, yeah. that place went out of their minds. It oh, was they, the UK loved the Warriors, still yeah. do. Yeah, and, and, exactly. Uh, and Randy, really, uh, he carried this match as far as, uh, you know, getting this to the point. I'm surprised Sherry or uh, Liz is not around. Was she not around? On, on not for she this was. one. No, there was a lot going on at that time, too. Um, I can imagine. But uh, <laughs> yeah, this was for the, you know, the, the world championship, the WWF championship. And uh, really, as I, I kept watching, and I watch these things now, um, and it just, you see some of the stuff that Randy does in the ring, where it's totally unselfish that he's, uh, you know, yeah. to help these guys out. And he did that with the Warrior in this encounter. There's there's no question about it. And, it, you know, 10, 15 minutes in, that's when Flair and Perfect appear ringside. And you don't know what the heck's going on because the first thing he does is he trips up Randy. And so you think, oh, yeah, now he's uh, he he's crossed Savage, so now he's in the Warrior's camp. And then they go in and they do the take the brass knuckles to the Warrior. And you never really understand what the heck is going on with these two at ringside. Who, what, what, what's their, their motive is at, at this point. Uh, so uh, as it goes on, finally, uh, you know, they, they get uh, uh, counted out, both of them, and they go at it with both Flair and uh, Perfect outside of the ring. And then they uh, end up, you know, because 
you know, they retains the belt, and the warrior goes back into the ring, and uh, they end up leaving arm in arm, and they're supposedly united. So you don't know. Who if leaves arm? I, I kind of lost you there, Sean. Who leaves arm in arm? Warrior and and Randy. They Randy leave. Uh, ah, as, okay. Yeah, because they you know they they have this big brawl well, outside. That of the was ring. kind of a complicated. Yeah, gig. I'm telling you. See, you try and follow it. Me just trying to tell you. But if people right. go back and look at that match, it was you're thinking yeah. like what. What is the point here? I mean, not not even the point of trying to follow what they're doing, but what is the the angle here? <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, yeah. And, well, it's wrestling; it doesn't have to make sense, right? Well, and then that one <laughs> certainly didn't. But uh, you know, this was supposed to continue after this. You know, they had big plans for this; they were going to carry this on with the the Warrior and Savage, with Flair and Perfect involved, and then they brought in uh, Razor Ramon. Who you know Scott Hall? Who uh, you know they had big plans for him as well, but the, this is when he first came in and they got him into this mix. And then Warrior, uh, as you, prior to that year, he had done the disappearing actor. It said, "I will disappear if you don't pay me this money." At the another Summer Slam, and now uh, he doesn't. They part of this angle is going to be him turning heel, and he refuses to do it. So by November of that year, he's gone. And so that whole, that, that was it. That uh, just kind of fizzled out. And, of course, they went on from there with, you know, the championship and Randy and all that and everything else that went on from that point. But, and we've talked about this before, but you think about the opportunity that uh, Jim, uh, the warrior, the ultimate warrior, had uh, with the WWF, WWE, and he just pissed it away. I, I don't know other, another way to put it. Um, well, what, I, I, I kind of disagree with you there, Sean. I think the guy had a had a hell of a run. It could have been a bigger, longer run. Well, yeah, that's, of course. That's what I'm saying, though, but that the, what he what uh, what he had and what it could have gone. I mean, he could have uh, another decade. I mean, really, come on, he could have had a run like sure. Shawn Michaels. You know, but yeah. it was but relatively the, the, short in that. But he, he was gigantic. And my point is, you know, uh, that you know he just didn't get it. Well. Well, look at the the long term deal. Now they have the Ultimate Warrior statue and the Ultimate Warrior the Warrior Award at uh, Hall of Fame uh, banquet dinner. Uh, they, they, you know, he's now a, a huge part of WWE. I always thought kind of Vince appreciated him standing up to him and trying to hold him up at uh, you know uh, these big shows and say, "Hey, I'm not going to the ring unless you pay me more money." Yeah. I mean. I, I, I think long term, because look where you know what Warrior is now with the company. Where Hogan's not even part of the company, Warrior they have a big, huge statue in the uh, Warrior Award at uh, the Hall of Fame uh, ceremony. So, uh, and I think you know the the Warrior. I don't think he ever really loved the business like a lot of guys. Maybe like Bret Hart loves the business, or you know somebody like that. Where I think he saw it as a means to an ends. You know. Yeah. Well, like you said, he kept he had a separate. Locker room uh, that where a lot he of the was boys. A different guy, sure. Room. But I mean, as yeah. I mean, I know Lord successful Alfred though. I mean, he's got to be one of the top uh, successful guys. Definitely one of the best known. I at the Comic Cons. I'm actually in Columbus, Ohio this weekend at a Comic Con. Plug that real quick. But uh, you see a lot of Ultimate Warrior folks dressed up. You know, yes, you, you still yeah. see guys with the, the face paint. Uh, Still one of the more popular wrestlers ever. Yeah. Well, but I, I, but I think. But I, a different person. And I, and I tell you, I mean, I look back because I did, I worked with him a lot. And I, I remember thinking at the time, you know, what an opportunity you have here. And you're just not 
understanding. And I think as a, as fans would say, you know, I think in some ways they feel cheated that they didn't get more of him I, because they did. He was they loved the guy. They loved the, the warrior. And there's a guy, you know, there, yeah. there's there's more to life. And back then, that was yep. not a job. That was a lifestyle. You were consumed with work, and you were working all the time. So, yeah. you know, maybe the guy he made enough money where he could say, "Hey, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm going to." Enjoy my family. He seems to be quite a family guy, and, and and made the move and and made a conscious decision. I mean, that's a, a decision like John Cena. When you're the marquee guy with a company like WWE, forget your private personal life. You're going to be working all the time. And yeah. I, I'm not saying that's what happened with the Warrior. I'm just saying that 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 may have been a deal. And speaking of fans feeling cheated, I, I hear that a lot with uh, CM Punk. You know, when guys leave early. So who knows why folks do it. Yeah, well, and we. And so yeah, many people are dying to get that opportunity to, to be there. It's hard to understand why some guy turns his back on a business and walks away. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because you know, you certainly know that uh, you know it. It doesn't doesn't just happen. All those uh, places where you were and uh, some nights being out there where it's not exactly a, a you know a packed house, but you go out there and you give them everything. <laughs> but really, Jim, I mean, you give. You, I'm sure you gave everything you had in front of. Uh, you know, 50 people yeah. as you would in front of 93,000. Well, that's the old joke. You know, everybody wants to wrestle at WrestleMania. Goes, I want to be a wrestler. I said, well, sure, 80,000 people, movie stars, fly over with the planes. I said, you got to do Minot, North Dakota in January after a 10-hour drive with 20 people in the building. Then if you still want to wrestle, talk yeah. to me. Yeah, I was like that quote I had from Bobby Heenan talking about, you know, I can't wait to do it again. It almost been, you know, killed and had burned by a cigar and I'm thinking, look, <laughs> and got five bucks and I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah, and so uh, we'll move along here, Jim, because, you know, I'll, I'll keep you all night, but uh, uh, I will try and keep this to a point where we can say goodbye on this podcast. But uh, the. Uh, Just there was, going to the next week, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Marathon podcast. Yeah, no kidding. But uh, it was, uh, you know, that, I'm sure they were building up to carry on. And, and the thing was, is it, you know, Warrior had other plans. He wasn't about to follow a certain line, and that that was it for him. Uh, after that encounter, they had the Undertaker and uh, versus Kamala. Uh, I'm just going to say the entrances I think were longer than the match. So after that, probably, that was probably a good. Well, that's the deal. You know, that's the old saying: we're not selling time, we're selling excitement. Yeah. So yeah, you don't want Taker and Kamala going long. That just exposed the business. You got two big gimmick, two big men out there. Go ahead and let them beat on each other and. You know, you had Paul Barrier. I think uh, you had uh, Kim Chi and the, the other dude out there with Kamala. I mean, so, uh, they, again, not a technical match. But people, the Undertaker's interest, that's probably 80% of his gimmick. I'll get heat with that. Well, that was... Folks, I, I enjoy watching the Undertaker's uh, entrance. They're, yeah. they're uh, elaborate. Yeah, he was he was great. He came in on, uh, I think it was an old... Like an Take English, the best run of English, anybody in the business. It was an English hearse, which is different than the ones you see in America, especially back then, but, you know, the big, tall hood over the back. And there's an... Yeah. I tell you, in, over in the UK, at any Comic-Con, you'll see uh, hundreds of Undertaker impersonators. Oh, yeah. It's a, a common costume over there. Yeah. Well, this was uh, definitely during the time, the rise of The Undertaker, and it would go on uh, way, way beyond what we saw that day at Wembley Stadium. Mm. Uh, I want to get to this match because this is the one that uh, really, I think, was should have been the main event no matter what they did with this uh, pay-per-view. 
uh, Bret Hart versus Davy Boy Smith for the Intercontinental, Cha Intercontinental Championship. Uh, you know, Davy, in a sense, was a local boy uh, from uh, uh, Wigan. I believe it's how you pronounce his, his the town. It's in England, was. right? Yeah, it's in England. And that, that was a shot, Sean. <laughs> I have my own list, Jim. <laughs> He Boy, might be uh, the fan favorite over there, I think. Oh, got it, yeah. <laughs> uh, Go ahead, I'm but sorry. There was a lot going on at the time between uh, Davy Boy and Bret Hart. Um, as most know, they were, they were, they were well, brother-in-laws, uh, with Davy uh, married at the time to Bret's sister, Diana. And uh, they worked that into the angle. It was, you know, two families torn apart. Um, but in an mm -hmm. interview that, that Brett did with uh, Kayfabe Commentaries, which is out there, you can look it up, folks. But um, you hear Brett's words on what happened in this uh, during the process of this match as it, they led up to it and then finally happened in London. Uh, according to Brett, uh, they knew about two months before they were going to have this match in, in England uh, for SummerSlam. And... Uh, Brett saw this as a great opportunity to have a tremendous match, and not only that, but to help put Davy Boy over. And uh, they did a, uh, he said it was sometime in June or July that they actually did kind of a, a warm-up match just to see how they would work together because they never really had, you know, this uh, matchup like this before. And they said he said it was terrible. And so uh, Brett walked away from that, and he was determined to make this a classic match, one of the, his best ever's. Ever so for the, over the next two months, all he did was think about this match. He said he could close his eyes and see every spot on how this would go down, and he, he tried to get in touch with David Boy. He says for two months of that whole summer, he could not reach him, and in fact, did not see David Boy until that Saturday uh, before the event in England. And that David Boy confessed to him that not only had he not really trained or anything, but he had been on a, a Bender for two days and hadn't slept in 48 hours. So uh, at, at this point, he's, you know, he, he knows absolutely nothing about what's going on in this match. Did you ever hear anything about the lead up to this, Jim? Yeah, there. Well, I'm sure you know. Davy Boy wasn't the only guy that couldn't pass a piss yeah, test. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I mean, there was a, you know, which now as I talk about the kids, <laughs> microphone. <laughs> so the kids are so much more professional nowadays. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to have nobody in the day of a pay per view having a big hangover or being up all night. I mean, a different uh, level of pro professionalism, maybe. But uh, back then, I mean, it was a rock and roll air, and you would come right from the club and get caught in rush hour traffic on the way to the show. I mean, uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know if if, if I was a Davy Boy, you know, in your home uh, hometown, your home country, Wembley Stadium, you're the main event. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, again, he, he went to the ring and he took care of business. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, Brett, a second-generation wrestler, you know, Brett's nothing but business in the ring, and I, I'm sure... If the match went perfect, Brett wouldn't be happy with it. I mean, yeah. so uh, they had a, they had a good match, but I could see why Brett would be upset because you know Brett's a perfectionist, and he I'm sure he wanted to go over the match time and time again. And you know nowadays they they have a, a ring set up in the uh, wrestling hotel, the talent hotel, so they can actually practice the the whole match right. before Mania or before a big pay per view. Which back then, you know, you, you try to work with each other, like you said, a few times in a house show before you do the uh, the big show. But uh, I could see where, uh, you know, Brett was hot with him. Now, you, you talk about some of the boys, and right, nobody was an angel during this period of time. But 
a lot of them were able to manage it. Uh, were the, was there talk, though, that, that Davy Boy was really struggling because the way uh, Brett describes it is that he was in trouble, that uh, it was kind of common knowledge that he was struggling, and he was supposedly off after having a staph infection in his knee, but he says he didn't really believe that that was the case. They did, was oh, there rumblings that he was really struggling, or as far as you knew, no? No, I not that I knew. Tell you the truth, I didn't. Uh, you know, uh, Brett Brett's a buddy of mine, but uh, yeah. Davy Boy and Dynamite, I didn't really know too well. I didn't hang around with them, so it, you know, I didn't uh, even travel with Brett. So you know, there was a, always rumblings about some guys getting caught up in the, the lifestyle too much. But I think back then, you know, it was you got to take care of yourself too, and and worry about your friends. So. Yeah. yeah. Well. Uh, Brett says that when, when he did arrive there that uh, he got with him and uh, that Davy Boy confessed to the kind of shape he was in. Uh, well, but, I'm sure Brett knew him well enough. You know, if you, if you know your buddy real well, you can look at him and see what's yeah, going on. Yeah. Well, and then he said, but, you know, here they are, you know, hours and a few, you know, hours away from this matchup the next day. And so he starts going over the match with them over and over and over again. And then he said the next morning he did the same thing. Uh, but... And I, uh, I did the pre-match interview with Davy Boy, and you'd seen him in, in uh, interview rooms. They were he was pretty much right on. I mean, they they were they weren't the greatest, you know. He wasn't the greatest at cutting promos, but he was right. always prepared. And when when the light went on, he did it. I I could tell that day that he it was there was just something off. I don't I don't remember. I wasn't thinking, uh, you know, drugs or anything like that. But I, I do know when doing interviews, when somebody has that kind of look that they don't know if they're going to remember what they're supposed to say. And <laughs> well, I, we've I, all had that. that yeah, but, but I'm saying. You're in the headlights. Oh, my God, what's next? Right, right. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Especially, you know, like the group interviews. But I, that did stand right. out to me. And I remember we did have a couple of false starts, which wasn't that unusual. Sometimes, you know, but I just know he did not look good. He looked really tired. And, and I thought, okay, maybe it's just the. The schedule these guys have been doing now it makes a little more yeah. sense after hearing that and i also did the uh the ringside interview which was you know the one with davy boy was was taped we did that you know pre-tapes right but i did do the, the live interview or the, the one that was what do you call it uh, live to tape or with diana uh, smith and she was a wreck and my my thinking at the time was well you know you got your brother and you've got uh you know, your husband in the ring, and, and Jim, no matter what how you look at this, but you're concerned for them. You don't want them to get hurt. Things can happen in that ring. And it was sure. the two of them. That, that's kind of the way I was looking at it. But now, looking at it, I can't even imagine what must have been going through her mind. She knew the condition Davy Boy was in. She didn't want him to fail in, that, in front of this gigantic crowd. And her brother was a part of this match, too. So... It, uh, when I, I'm seeing the interview again, and I'm like, wow, you know, I can't even imagine what she must have been going through because you know that family. And, uh, yeah, it must have been. And, like I said, well, Brett, Brett and Davey were tight too. Yeah. And you wonder if, if you know, she, back in the day, if Davey just took a couple gimmicks to get through the match, you know, <laughs> that was the deal. You take a couple to go down, you take a couple to go up. Uh, so he got through the match anyway, and I think that the fans there didn't realize anything was wrong. Usually, you know, that's what 
you, when you're having a match and something goes wrong, sometimes people panic. The young guys just like, just keep going. Nobody realizes what's wrong except the people in the ring. You know, the folks don't know what's what's supposed to happen. So if something messes up, just keep rolling. You know, don't stop and panic. Yeah. And I think that the people at the Wembley Stadium, they were so excited to have one of their own in the WWE main event at SummerSlam. You know, I, I think Davey, as long as he showed up, he would have had the people in the palm of his hand. But well, I think he put on a good match, oh, even well, if he was uh, under the weather. Well, and, and, I, and as I go on with this match, as I go on to talk about this, Jim, though, he went beyond that. Uh, it was, um, as Brett tells the story, that after they first locked up, Davey Boy said to him, I'm fooked. If you could imagine what that what he meant, uh, that he mm-hmm. was done, that he didn't, he couldn't remember anything, and at that point, Brett decides that he's going to have to uh, take him through this match, and says he pretty much called every spot. But I'll tell you what, what however that happened, however that went down, it was it was it, no with that knowledge, it was. One of the greatest matches I think I ever saw. Uh, it really. It would. I, I hope that you'll go back and, and take a, a watch of it sometime, Jim, because uh, he didn't miss anything. There was no. Uh, you could see moments where they were locked up, and you could see Brett talking to him as he mentions. But it's just. It's incredible knowing what to pull it together like that. And you've said I don't know how many times. You know. Whatever happens outside that ring when these guys get in there, that's was what made uh, them who they were, uh, why they were at that level uh, in professional wrestling. But I hope that, folks, you'll go back and take a look at this one uh, and, and, and watch it because it really is incredible. And it was actually ended up being voted uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrator's 1992 Match of the Year. So wow. yeah, and uh, do you? But you know you, you. Yeah, go ahead. You're looking back at it though. I'm yeah. sure Brett and Davy Boy have wrestled each other thousands of times before, then yeah. in front of hundreds of millions of people probably, yeah. and back in the dungeon, just the two of them there. So I think you know once they got rolling, it's like riding a bike. I think because uh, those guys probably spent more time in the ring together than than most people. Yeah, but you but has Brett mentioned that they had you know done a a trial matchup, I guess you'd call it, and that it was terrible. And to, you know, a few months later, they pull this off. And maybe it was the, the See, that's... moment, the event, what it was. Like you said, uh, they answered the call. It, it's just just incredible. It really, really, I'm telling you, I got emotional watching the end of this. Uh, of course, they bring Diana out into the ring, but I'm thinking about all these things that must have been going on at their head in their heads at the time. Uh, Diane just absolutely relieved that they... You know, got through it, and and that you know they pulled it off, <laughs> yeah. and of course the emotion she had for the, the these two individuals. But what Brett must have been thinking, and Davy Boy, you know, thinking of that at the beginning of that, he's fooked and going to what they did is just amazing. Yeah, because you know when you have a good match, and you know when you don't. So I'm I'm sure they they felt great. And yeah, you, uh, you know that, right, Jim? When when you pull, I mean, when you know it's yeah, good. When you know you're rocking, I tell you. It, you, you can feel it, and sometimes I mean, you know, you, you, everybody, you know, it's like a graph. You're, but sometimes it really peaks, and of course, sometimes there's valleys too, you know. But uh, you can tell when you have a really good match, and of course, Diana was happy. There's good paydays for everybody, yeah. main event at SummerSlam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> Woo! 
But I do. I, I encourage you, uh, folks, uh, if you get a chance, uh, however you can see it, uh, whether it's on the network or, or somewhere else, one of the tapes, uh, take a look at that. Of course, Sean, special. I told you I, I won't. Yeah, I won't be able to watch that. I'd be like a butcher watching him cut meat on his day off, right? I mean, last thing yeah, I want to watch when I'm home is that? wrestling nowadays. Yeah, but that was, I can understand that's uh, uh, like an art, a piece of art, maybe. And every once in a while, Jim, I know you'd like, you'd like to have, uh, you know, a nice filet, a, a nice uh, filet mignon, and that matchup is uh, definitely uh, is, worth know, taking a bite in you know, sure. I so. don't know art, but I know what I like. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, we've got. I'm going to go right to our, our mailbag here, so because it's related to all of this. <laughs> Leave her alone. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she didn't used to be a bag. She used to be a nice piece of mail. Oh boy. Are you good? Uh, but uh, Chris Priddle, uh, one of his matchups. First class. As I as I mentioned, <laughs> special delivery. Uh, anyway, uh, Chris Priddle uh, sent us an email on on uh, SummerSlam '92. And he said, Do you, did you feel, because I, I told you at the top of the, the podcast how this event got a lot of mixed reviews and uh, that much of the middle card, the card on this was not good and that it was the two matches that really carried it, the Macho Man and, and uh, Randy Man. It really wasn't that strong of a card looking at it. Right. You know, looking back, it wasn't that no. strong of a card. And it, in, uh, you know, you, uh, if you go through, like, you know, Meltzer did the runs down the Summer Slams, it was dead last. It's like, out of the 20, it's like 25. But, um, but I think a lot of people enjoyed this event for a number of reasons, the fact that it was in another country, it was in the you know the United Kingdom, it just showed the, the you know how how uh, much the WWF had taken the world by storm. I mean, it was really that that was the beginning, and and from that point on, uh, it really spread into Europe and other places. They didn't do many other events outside of the country until you know later in the 90s, where they really started to do a bunch of pay-per-views, but. Um, it was it was uh, a, a great event for for many reasons, and that uh, was one of them. Is that showing the, that how much of a worldwide uh, entertainment venue what that had become, what the WWF had become? And uh, Chris Priddle asked, uh, he wanted to know, did you think that fans were were happy uh, with that '92 SummerSlam as they were the year before with the '91? Um, I. I what do you think how people reacted to that SummerSlam, Jim? Well, I think it probably would have done better if they moved that first match up to like a semi-main event. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no. I think so. Me and the Whackers, are I, you kidding? I could have easily but, uh, slipped that one in there instead of the Nails-Virgil match. I'll give you that for sure. <laughs> anyway, hey, that was a well, no, that was a plug. I'll take that one. There you go, see? But no, I think, I think, like you said, the folks were excited, you know, a pay-per-view over in uh, the, in the UK uh, outdoors because that was a big deal. They had really no big uh, covered dome stadiums over there at that time. And uh, people were, realized it was a gamble for the WWEF to go over there. Right. And they were excited. I think uh, no matter who was on the card, they would have popped. But it was good, like I said, two good main events. And, uh, you know, even now you wonder when are they going to take a WrestleMania over there or to another foreign country besides Canada? Because uh, I know the folks are clamoring for it. The fans in uh, Europe and Australia are, are, are pulling for it. So well, never say never. Yeah, never say never. But a production deal to get that all taken uh, care I was of. say the way that is now because uh, you know how big a production it was back then. Now it's... Right, it's incredible. Like you said, the, you know, the tractor trailers that are in the back of these arenas now is just amazing, just for uh, you know, the weekly shows. 
yeah, it's, so it's, it's it's cool just to go back there and see how how huge it's become. What a production! Yeah. I mean, just what a machine! Yeah, it's it, it really is amazing. Uh, we're not, once again, Jim, we're not going to get to a lot of these questions. I promise I'll keep saving them, <laughs> um, but I can't keep you uh, for the rest of the day. As I said, I would love to do that. But uh, we one question I did want to get in, and um, this Andrew Hunt, and I know you get this a lot, so. I'd like to have you just answer it. And then, folks, if you ever want to know what his feelings are on this, you can go back to Episode 8. But Andrew Hunt asks, he says, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 34 and finally living my dream of getting into professional wrestling. I've been training for a couple of months now, and I was wondering what advice would you give me? Uh, maybe any mistakes you made in your early days I should be wary of. So let's just put it out there, Jim. And uh, like I said, we'll refer to Episode 8 anytime we hear from people again. Well, I tell the same advice I, I tell a lot of kids I see at autograph sessions, comic cons, independent shows. A young guy come up, Hacksaw. He says, "Got any advice? I want to be a wrestler." Yeah, I said, good. "Certainly." I said, "Get some golf clubs." <laughs> I said, "That's where the money's at, and a lot easier on the body." <laughs> but but no, always chase your dream because who would have, like I said earlier in the show, said that Daniel Bryant would make it? So go ahead, do everything you can, get as much ring time on an independent show, do everything you can to chase your dream, but make sure you have something to fall back on because the odds are against you in making it. But people do make it. I mean, a heavyset guy from couldn't see from Glens Falls, New York, 37 years later still doing the deal. I mean, chase your dreams and uh, miracles do happen. And how do you start uh, if really? Uh, because there are some people you say like get golf clothes, but there's some people that really, they are if they are of that ilk, that will not give yeah. up, where do you, what do you do? Well, it seems there's a, a lot of schools around, but most uh, wrestling schools are ripoffs. They'll go ahead and show you how to hit the ropes and charge you a couple thousand dollars and give you diplomas that you're a wrestler. Doesn't do nothing for you. Right. You take the diploma to WWE, they're like, yeah, get out of here. But go try to find a reputable independent company and get some ring time and work on your gimmick. Like I started off as Big Jim Duggan. I mean, the shows, the kids I saw up in Green Bay and uh, – in Bristol, Connecticut. I mean, they're working on their gimmicks, getting the ring time in. And then once you get a little bit of a resume together, you put it to tape and you send it to the WWE training facility down there in Orlando. Right. And they look at you. And if they, and sometimes they have open tryouts. And boom, you know, get yeah, yourself you some, know. a few bucks yeah. and, and go down to the open tryout in Orlando. But, uh, you know, to make it, uh, you got to get the ring time in. Yeah. All right, folks, uh, that's uh, what the advice from Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Nobody better to give it to you. He's, uh, he's, he's, he, has, he, he didn't ride a motorcycle. He didn't ride a golf cart. He, he walked every bit of the way to get where he is. So it, it's a lot of work, but it, that's, and, that's what you, you know. And, and it's been a good business for yeah. me. A lot of folks hear the negative stuff, and there's people that are successful in our business. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a dream come true. I've traveled the world. I raised a family. Uh, doing something that I love and, and still at 63 years old I, I'm still doing something that I, that I enjoy and, and after you know what people remember after all these years is just the old WWF days very few folks are talking about Georgia Championship Wrestling yeah. or Mid-South I mean that was the, the golden age alright folks we're, we're going to wrap up this one uh, please continue oh wait wait oh, Sean yes. I got another one. Oh no no get the train get the train out now <laughs> Yeah. Let's keep going. There we go. I've had it with you, Brian. That's it. 
But anyway, please continue to help us spread the word, folks, uh, about the podcast. It's available at mlwradio.com, of course, through iTunes and all those other platforms. Please do. Also, we want to hear from you at Twitter. That's at primetime, MLW. All right, Hacksaw, take us home. 